We learn best when there's some sort of discord between what we think is going to happen and what does happen. There's just a lot that they do when they're given the opportunity to learn and to grow and to express their own interest. But it's that willingness to learn alongside students and to know that you don't have to know everything. And actually, in a lot of ways, you're setting a better example for the students if you don't know everything, because now they get to see what lifelong learning looks like. Hello and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast by Coconut Thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Benjamin Freud, and Happy New Year. Today's guest is Tanya Sheckley, and I'm very excited to uh, have uh, have this conversation uh, with Tanya. She's the founder of Up Academy, a school in the San Francisco Bay Area that focuses on project-based learning and has done some pretty remarkable things and accomplished some uh, pretty exciting um, projects with younger students. Uh, Up Academy is an elementary school, a primary school. And so my conversation with Tanya shows that project-based learning, authentic projects, getting kids excited about their learning and doing and the agency that they have isn't limited to uh, older kids. So with no further ado, I leave way to my conversation with Tanya. Well, hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm very excited to speak with you because of what you bring from a pedagogical background, but also the fact that I don't um, have much, uh, many shows where we talk to, to folks that, that have such a primary school background. And, and a lot of what you're going to, I'm sure, contribute to this conversation is going is to add so much to me and uh, hopefully to our listeners. So, so thank you so much. The, the first question I'm going to ask, Tanya, is, is who are you, what do you do, and, and how do you try to make a difference? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to chat. Um, like you said, my name is Tanya Sheckley. I'm the founder of Up Academy, which is a progressive elementary school in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and a part, of, a piece of our mission is to be inclusive of students with physical disabilities. So we work through project-based learning um, and inquiry and interest-based learning um, to help our students gain a solid understanding of the concepts that they're going to need to be successful in middle school and beyond. Um, and also working on sharing different perspectives, both of a global nature. We offer Spanish and Mandarin classes, and so they learn language and culture of different countries and different parts of the world, as well as working with students of different abilities to help shape their perspective on, on the way they view the world. Um, with the hope and desire being that as they grow, um, they'll see the capabilities in everyone and the possibilities in spaces. And so as they as they create, as they design, as they move into business, as they move in, into the world, they'll have this wide variety of foundation to be able to draw from um, to make the world better and more accessible and user-friendly and kinder for all of us. And before before we pick up on some of the points that you that you brought up, which are, are tremendously interesting and 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 really should be in the objective of probably every single school, um, uh, and, and building on the strengths and, and and so forth. The question I asked just about everyone is, how do you define learning? I mean, learning at its most base is the gaining of knowledge. Um, as a school, we look at our learning platform as helping our students to gain an understanding of the concepts, to gain the skills and to gain the knowledge that they need to be successful in the world. Um, so as elementary students, there is a fair amount of just base knowledge that they need. They need basic math facts. They need to learn to read. Um, they need to be able to learn to read for information, not just for pleasure and fiction, right? And be able to have comprehension of that. And so building on these basic skills that they need, what other skills do they need to be successful? 
Um, and so collaboration and problem solving and having a growth mindset and having a scientific mind and an outlook at the world where they, they can not only see a problem, but see a solution and work towards finding ways to make that workable for a wide variety of people. Um, and so, you know, there's, you can't stop kids from learning. <laughs> they're, they're little sponges and they're learning machines. It's in our human nature that we always want to learn and we always want to progress and we always want to know more about the things that, that interest us, that we're curious about. Um, and so as a school, it's how do we maintain that spark of wonder and curiosity that we so naturally have and also impart the skills and the knowledge that students really need to be successful in the world. And that's the question that really comes to my mind is this idea of when so many people think about project-based learning, it's like, oh, it's a free-for-all, they can do whatever they want, and, and there's no structure. And if there's no structure, there's no academic rigor. Now, I'm obsessed with this idea of academic rigor because to me, rigor means inflexibility, rigidity, suffering in some, some ways. And, 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 but it doesn't have to. It could also be something that, that, that nourishes you know, the self and, and allows for exploration. And, and you know, it just depends how you take the word. But I'm wondering how you guys resolve that tension between the creativity, the curiosity, the, the project base, maybe a little bit more open-ended um, uh, you know, learning uh, um, experiences with that need, especially in, in, in elementary school, to have those skills, to have just the fundamentals of writing, of reading, of, of, of math and, and so forth. How do you guys resolve that tension? Yeah, so that it's, it's a mix of both, right? So there's basic skills that the kids need to learn and they need to do uh, phonics and they need to do literacy and they need to understand antagonism and prota uh, protagonists and, and basic math skills. Um, but you can learn that not only through just learning the basic skills, which there are a number of ways through you that you can do that, right? Through manipulatives, through games, through brick math and learning with Legos, through apps that are on the computer, through art and understanding shapes and dimensions and patterns and systems. But then once you start drawing it out into a more conceptual nature, you know, if you are looking at patterns in math, you can also look at patterns in science and you can look at systems in the world around you and you can look at patterns in writing and you can look at systems in writing. Um, and so we take it um, from both angles really. So we're teaching a, a, a really solid core curriculum of classes, um, but then our project-based learning draws from all of those core sections. So. So a really good integrated project is gonna draw in social sciences and science and math and English language arts into an area of interest so that students can solve and work towards a driving question. Um, and then allowing areas for student agency and for student choice and for it to be really student-centered within the theme that we're working on. Does that, does that make sense? Does that help? <laughs> so our projects are long, you know, there's, there's activities that we do in class to learn units or to learn a concept a, a, or a thing. Um, but a project itself is a two, three, four month long endeavor working through cross-curricular areas to draw all of the pieces together towards a driving question and towards a solid conceptual understanding of the project subject matter. And so the question is, so the last two, three, four months, which for younger kids has to be varied. And you're right. I mean, I'm sure you have to weave other things in. Otherwise, they're, they're just going to get, get, you know, it's, they're going to might lose interest. My, my question is, um, 
and this is something that I think a lot of educators struggle with is how do you elicit, how do you draw that interest or understanding of what their interests are in such a way as to provide them with the opportunity to have those experiences? How do you make it so that it still has some kind of group cohesion, that it's not too individual, but that it's not too much of a group? Again, how do you resolve that tension? And I guess the first part of the question is, how do you even know what the kids are interested in? Well, you ask them. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds, I, I'm laughing and it sounds like such a simple answer, but it, you talk to them and you ask them and you observe them in the class and you see when they go to the library, what books do they gravitate towards? What is their interest? What are they focusing on? What do they like to spend their time doing when they come in? in the morning when you have you know if you're doing a morning circle which in elementary you know we have a morning meeting we do a morning circle what are they talking about what did they do at home was it fun did they hate it like what do they do after school um, and getting a feel for where their interest lies and and what is interesting to them now that being said right when we choose a project and a theme because being an elementary school the kids aren't choosing their projects and their themes we're deciding still for the most part what they're going to learn um, and so then we draw out that process, but there are areas within there that they can find their own learning and find their own interest within what we're doing. So to give you an example, we just finished our change makers unit. Um, we started the year, um, they started this project in mid-September. Um, and the overarching question was, how can I be a change maker in my world? And one of, our, one of our graduate standards at UP Academy is influencing action, which is how do we take all of the skills and knowledge and concepts we're learning in school and use it to make a difference in the world? What, what can we as elementary school students do in the world? Um, so Changemakers, our younger level class, um, learned about different movements. Well, all of our students learned about different movements throughout history and that are currently happening. And of course, we just came through an election. So talking about election and how change happens in the country from that perspective as well. Um, but they looked at suffrage and women getting the right to vote and gender equality and gender rights, um, disability advocacy and disability rights, uh, Black Lives Matter and the civil rights movement throughout history. Um, and looking at all these different movements and people who have created change. So, um, we did a few field trips with this. We had guest speakers in, we had a Black Lives Matter activist come and speak. We had a man who has worked with refugees um, in different countries around the world come and speak. We had a disability advocate come and speak. Uh, we took a field trip and we looked at murals um, in the Mission District in San Francisco because uh, the neighborhood is known for activism and for portraying what is happening in their community and the world through their art. Um, and so we looked at murals and looked at art and looked at how people convey emotion and challenges and, and movements and change through art. Um, and then we wanted to have them get a chance to actually experience some of these things. So each of the students in the younger level class, they broke into two groups and they decided to focus on Black Lives Matter and climate change. Um, our older class each chose their own topic. Um, and then we put on a mock protest march. So all the kids made cardboard signs um, and they were so cute. They were super nervous that day. And our, our school happens to be two blocks from City Hall. Uh, so we took all the kids out. They had their cardboard signs and we were chanting and walking our two blocks down to City Hall. And then our younger students had um, created speeches for each of their movements. So these are kindergarten first and second graders who are standing up in front of City Hall and sharing, you know, 
hi, my name is, and I'm six years old, and I'm going to tell you about climate change. Um, and giving their little speech in front of City Hall and then marching back and chanting. And they were all super nervous before we went, and they were all super excited and hyped up by the time we got back. Um, cars are driving by, they're honking, they're you know supporting the kids. Um, but they got to have that experience of like, what does it feel like to anticipate um, being in a protest? What does it feel like to shout about things that I care about? You know, what does it feel like to walk down the street and have people looking at a sign that I made about something that I care about? And they get to, you know, experience that, that, that thing, um, even in our own small school way. Um, so they came back after the protest march. Um, and then our upper class, then each student chose a change maker through time. So it ranged from Abraham Lincoln to Jackie Robinson to Kamala Harris and who the students chose. Uh, but then each student did a little research on their person. They created a claymation stop motion video sharing the life story of the person. So we're drawing in research and writing. They wrote storyboards. They did the art to build the claymation. They're learning the digital, um, you know, digital standards of creating a movie and video and editing and you know, writing out the story. Um, and so they did that research piece and did a claymation video. Um, and then our whole school together put together a school mural, which is now out in front of our school about how to be change makers and how to share your voice with the world. Um, and then as a final piece of the project, the upper level class wrote letters to someone to someone about something they wanted to see change. So it could have been local government, it could have been state government, it could have been national government, it might have been their change maker if that person is still alive and working to make change, or it might have been a different issue that they wanted to share and talk about. So then they went through that writing process of how do you write a letter and paragraphs and introduction and conclusion and you know those pieces of putting together coherent thoughts on paper, right? Effective communication. Um, so our, you know, the Changemaker project spanned over three months, brought in elements of art and video and writing and um, expression, uh, social justice, social studies, history, um, all that these kids got to not only learn the concepts, but also experience being a part of it and create their own agency and creating their own protest and taking on, you know, a piece of this is something that I'm feel passionate about and I'm going to share it with my class and with the world. And I'm so glad that you provided such detail about a, a rich <laughs> program because, you know, it's the experiential piece that really locks it in emotionally, which locks it in intellectually, cognitively, and so forth. One thing I'm going to pick you up on in terms of my curiosity and, and, and my wonder, yeah. um, sorry, pick her up is probably the wrong word, but um, you started off saying you need to ask them. Then you described a long project. But in order to ask them, you need to have the right people. It's actually not so simple to say you need to ask them because you need to have the right culture. You need to have the right people. You need to have folks who are tuned in to what the kids are saying. And that's actually quite sophisticated teaching and learning. And that takes the right person. And somebody to guide them through this experience as well means a, an educator who is okay with letting go of control, letting have kids um, uh, go their way. How have you built that culture of listening, of taking in, 
of having this dynamic relationship with the kids from the hiring process to just the building of the school? How did you develop that culture? Yeah, I mean, it's a work in progress for sure. And we're learning all the time. Um, I'm extraordinarily excited about and proud of the educators that we have this year. Um, they're creating amazing, fantastic experiences for the kids and with the kids. Um, but you're looking, you know, I, I really believe that most teachers come into the profession because they want to make a difference in the world. And all of us as humans want to have jobs where we can be creative, where we can kind of put our own stamp on it and, and do a little bit of our own thing. Um, and so just starting with the belief that teachers are extraordinarily capable professionals. Um, and when given, you know, we have guideposts for each grade that, you know, these are the things that we need to cover. Um, but how we do that is very much up to the educator. Um, and then providing professional development in concept-based learning and in project-based learning um, and spending some time with the current educator team and really understanding, you know, how this method of education is different um, and how, yes, from a teacher perspective, it's going to be more work, but it's also going to be so much more rewarding because you're really going to see the children experience this and their eyes light up in that sense of understanding which is why so many of them go into the profession. And when you're teaching in a very traditional, for lack of a better word, kind of sage on the stage sort of way, you, you miss that and you don't get that connection. Um, but when you're creating a classroom that's close knit and project-based, I mean, you really do get to work side by side. Um, and so it's changing this dynamic of the teacher being the one with all the knowledge that they're imparting to the class to really the teacher being a, a learning engineer or a learning facilitator um, who's helping create all of these experiences for the students to have these moments. Because um, like you said, it's, it's those experiences. And we know, you know, when you look at how people learn, we learn best when there's some sort of discord between what we think is going to happen and what does happen and creating that experience where we, our brain has to stop and instead of just zoning out and saying, yeah, yeah, she's saying this again, okay, uh-huh, wait. But that thing that makes us stop and say, wait, what? Wait, how did that happen? Wait, can, can I see that again? Like that's when we start to dive into that learning process. And so giving our teachers really the opportunity to create as many of those moments throughout the day as they can, um, they will, you know, they're, they're professionals and they're amazing at what they do when when given the latitude to really create extensive learning opportunities. So, so you're in San Francisco, which is a part of the world that's got a specific demographic, socioeconomically, politically, people you know, historically have gone to San Francisco to, to seek out um, a, a certain uh, way of thinking, a certain way of living. Um, but part of the stakeholders, or one of the very important stakeholders of a school like yours, or any school, are, are the parents. But in terms of the project-based learning, how do you get parents on board who might be a little bit hesitant about it being non-traditional, something they're not used to? How do you bring them into to your story? How do you bring them into, how do you get their buy-in? Um, yeah, I mean, most of our parents are looking for a school that has a very hands-on experiential learning base and learning opportunity. Um, and so they, they're coming to us looking for that. They're looking for something different. They're looking for an opportunity for their kid to really dive into their learning. Um, and we primarily attract, you know, kids who 
are curious, kids who don't maybe do well sitting and learning all day because they need to be moving and understanding what they're learning. They might be kinesthetic learners. Um, we also tend to attract the kids because we so much of what we do is based on having small class sizes. Um, and that's part of how we're able to really talk to students and really get to know them and really understand who they are um, because our teachers aren't teaching 20, 25, 30 kids. Our teachers are teaching this year, we limited it to eight because of coronavirus. Um, and so they've got eight students in their class. And so you can really dive in deep with eight kids. Um, and even then, you know, we're always keeping class sizes small. And so it's, uh, we're also attracting families who their child might be a little quieter. They might be slower to self-advocate. Um, and so giving them a smaller school environment where we're going to focus on, you know, not only the academics, but that social emotional growth of how do you ask for what you need? How do you share with your friends, your emotions? How do you understand your own emotions? Um, and working through this stuff as a part of experiential learning and as a part of multi-sensory learning, um, is really what our parents are looking for. Um, and it, it is unique here in the San Francisco area in that it's very much a, of a startup environment. And so people are very open to trying something new and different. Um, but project-based learning, I mean, as you know, is, is pretty universal. It'll work anywhere in any school with any kid and really work better than most traditional learning because you can really reach every kid wherever they are. Um, you know, you're doing an overarching project and you, you have a child who doesn't do as well in math. Well, now they're in a group and maybe they're working with somebody who's strong in math and they're getting that understanding from a peer. And it's regarding something that they're actually interested in and working on as a bigger picture, right? They're not just doing a math problem on a worksheet. They're doing a math problem because they need to figure out what the circumference is to see if the gears will fit together to make their robot move. Like, that matters, <laughs> you know, whether Jim's circle or Bob's circle is bigger on a worksheet probably doesn't matter, right? And so it, you get a lot more buy-in and a lot more interest from the students that way. Um, and every student we've had come in has not wanted to leave. You know, our kids come running back after Thanksgiving break and are so excited to be back in school. Um, my son was asking me over break. He's like, can't we have Zoom school while we're on break so that we can still see our class and our teachers? I'm like, no, we're taking a break. That's the point of a break. <laughs> you know, but they just, they always want to be here. And that speaks a lot to a culture that's been built. And that is, 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 has to be done intentionally and, and in ways to, to build those relationships that, that doesn't necessarily become evident. Once you get to the other side, you say, hey, it completely makes sense. You know, talking to kids, mm -hmm. asking them what they're interested in, making it a richer experience for everybody, making a more fun experience even for the teachers, right? And, but, but even that takes a lot. But tell, tell us a little bit about, um, about the, 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 the different learners you have at the school some of the opportunities that come with that and, and, and what you have done in, to be able to build on that, to, to build on those strengths to go even farther. Yeah, so I mean, our, our learning profile, like I said, we were inclusive of students with physical disabilities, um, but all of our students are cognitively age appropriate. All of our students are able to problem solve and collaborate and work together. Um, that's really what we're looking for in our students is that level of independence and curiosity when they come in. Um, and so we, 
you know, our, we do teach from a very multi-sensory approach. And so for students with dyslexia and dyscalculia, it works a little bit better. You know, we don't do specific interventions. We're not a special education school. Um, everybody is all together, but we try and teach from a perspective of being inclusive of everybody. Because when we're teaching a dyslexia curriculum, it works for everybody, but it doesn't leave anybody behind. Um, and so that's the goal with the curriculum that we're choosing as base models is how can we be as inclusive and incorporate everyone into what we're doing um, and make sure that we're not losing anyone and leaving anyone behind. Um, and then of course, you know, as there are specific challenges with students, they may seek outside support or outside tutoring from other types of specialists. Um, and our students with physical disabilities, we have a full neurodevelopment program of specialists that are here to support them throughout the day. Um, but the whole goal is to be consistent and to be in class and to be with peers and for all of our students to be learning and doing the same curriculum together throughout the day. Um, and so, you know, each student kind of gets what they need. Um, and as far as, you know, looking at different levels, because you could in any first grade classroom, right, you've got levels from almost TK up to probably third grade, even when you have one, one age group classroom. Um, and we do all small mixed age classes. So we've got a, this year we have a kinder one, two class and a two, three, four class. Um, and so how can those students work together on the things, you know, that they need? So they're kind of teaching down and learning up the, the Montessori approach. Um, but also it allows us to really group them and differentiate them to meet them where they are. So this year we've got a first grader who comes into third grade uh, literature and literacy. We've got a third grader who goes to math with a bunch of the second graders because she's got some big gaps in what she's learning. Um, but being a small school and knowing our students so well, we're able to put them into the right groups for where they are because no student learns everything at grade level exactly precisely all the time. And it's frankly kind of ridiculous that we expect students to do that. Um, and so our students are able to accelerate in the areas of strength and able to get extra support in the areas of weakness. So there's, there's a fluidity in the classroom where depending on where they are from an interest point of view and from perhaps a, a mastery point of view, they join different groups regardless of the age. Correct. Tell me about um, one thing I've, I've been really interested in, I've, I was talking to Charlotte um, earlier today and, and yesterday, is about spaces. Now you must have a particular, um, I mean, the space in, in your school must be particularly important simply because of, of the need maybe if, 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 if kids are, are in wheelchairs or need, need special access. How do you use your spaces in ways, especially if they mixed age, to be um, a tactile, to be, to, 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 to peak curiosity? What have you done with the spaces in the classroom to promote this and, and, and keep it even through the older quote unquote grades in, in, in the school? Yeah, it's a good question. And one that we're constantly reevaluating is how are we using our space and is it best utilized and how can we best create the environment to support the curiosity and learning and agency of our students? Um, so right now we are broken into classrooms. Um, so there's a lower level classroom, there's an upper level classroom. We also have a full indoor uh, gym with a climbing wall and padded floor and monkey bars and um, spaces for the students to play indoors. So we use a lot of that as a multi-sensory approach for phonics and literacy learning as well with uh, movement centers. Um, 
and the students just have the opportunity to, you know, sometimes if they're having struggling with concentrating, they can come out into the main space, do 10 bounces on the trampoline and go back to class and like concentrate and feel better. Right. Just like an adult will go outside and get the mail when you need a break and come, you know, and come back in or walk around the block. Um, but they have that opportunity because there is that play space in the center. Um, and then we have a multi-use space in the center of the building as well. Um, and we've got a library and we've got a steam room and tinker lab. Um, and so the kids are moving quite frequently between, you know, a library and a reading space and a quiet space or a movement space and a movement center and their own classroom and the things and activities that are happening in their classroom or to the steam room and doing 3D printing or 3D pens and drawing and creating. Um, so we do utilize, you know, the entire school for every classroom. Um, and like I said, we're continually figuring out how to reconfigure and make the best use of the space for both creativity and expression and learning. And, and that's, that's going to be, I mean, the, the learning environment is so important to, to, to promote that. And in and, and so many classrooms, um, it's just desks and tables and then maybe a shelf somewhere else. Um, do you find... <laughs> Do you, do you find that that by the the time they get older, and this is I'm, I'm genuinely curious, by the time they get older, they um, they 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 are still like like what are the different ways that they're involved in those in those spaces that that you can see that creativity just just continuing to grow rather than maybe perhaps being extinguished if if we make it more sterile? Well, can can you give some examples of of kids who have just um, gone and 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 done on their own initiative certain certain projects because they have been able and encouraged by the space? Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much the encouragement of this space is, but definitely giving them time to create their own thing um, and resources and materials. So, I mean, we do have flexible seating. We've got scoop chairs. We've got bounce chairs. We've got wobble seats. They can sit on the carpet. They can sit on the table. Like I said, we've got the active space in the center that they sometimes use. There's quiet space in the library, you know, so there, there definitely are spaces that they can use. Um, right now we're in kind of a two week intercession as we came off of Thanksgiving break and we've got two weeks before we break for Christmas um, winter break tomorrow. Um, and so our, our older class was all given the op opportunity to do passion projects and say, what do you wanna learn? What do you wanna work on for the next two weeks? Like this project time is yours. We finished our change makers project. We're not starting our ecology and systems project till January. What do you wanna learn? And so given that opportunity, um, you know, we've got students building robots to pump out hand sanitizer. I've got students writing um, graphic novels. I have students creating their own video game in full JavaScript code in third grade. Like it, it's, um, there's just a lot that they do when they're given the opportunity to learn and to grow and to express their own interest. Um, and they're using all the different spaces in the school for that. Our robotics kids are in the STEAM lab and, you know, the kids that are doing art are maybe sitting at their desk in their classroom, um, and, but giving them that opportunity to really create and follow an interest um, and giving them the resources and time to do it is really what they need. And what about the teachers? Are, do you have people who are experts in robotics or how does somebody guide? Let's say I have an interest in something like hydroponics. I don't know, I'm making it up, but it's hydroponics. How do you have somebody <laughs> who might not have that expertise? How do you work with a kid who, who who's just really wants to do hydroponics? We learn. <laughs> I mean, just, just like everybody else, you, you figure it out. And really, I mean, to teach because you're teaching such a wide variety and you have so many interests, the goal is just to stay one step ahead of your students, right? And to be able to provide resources and to be able to 
find those resources when you don't have the answers because we can't know everything. It's funny you mentioned hydroponics because the students are doing a hydroponic project. We had a little aquarium donated to us and we got a beta fish whose name is Ruth Beta Ginsberg. Um, and the, we're growing bamboo out of the top from the wastewater from the fish. And so the bamboo cleans the water so you don't have to clean the tank and the fish feeds the plant. Um, and we're gonna go to a hydro aquaponics plant um, in January and see the operation Know, what it looks like in a big scale um but it, it's part of you know having really curious teachers who are creative and who are willing again to be that facilitator of knowledge not that i know everything and i'm going to teach you what i know but hey you want to learn this let's figure it out together let's find some resources so that you can learn the things that you want to learn and then you can teach me in the class about it um and so i you know last year i led the girls robotics team I've never built a robot in my life. <laughs> I said, you know, and we, I had three fifth graders and a third grader um, join our robotics team and said, hey, let's, we're going to build a robot and we're going to enter this robotics competition. Let's see what happens. And so we did. I gave them the robotics kit. We watched a few videos on how to build a robot and they built a robot and we went and competed and we figured out how to program it. Um, but it's that willingness to learn alongside students and to know that you don't have to know everything. And actually, in a lot of ways, you're setting a better example for the students if you don't know everything, because now they get to see what lifelong learning looks like, right? Robotics didn't even exist, really. Well, it did, but not in any sort of grand commercial scheme when I was a child, you know, and now elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, everybody has a robotics team. So how do we figure out those things that we haven't learned and provide those opportunities for students? But again, that speaks a lot to the culture where you have folks who are one, able to do so, not just from a personal point of view, but also from a systemic point of view where they are allowed to take risks, I'm sure fail in certain aspects. And, and they're just given that space, figuratively this time, of, uh, mm -hmm. of being able to go and explore. That doesn't often happen. And why do you think it is that many schools, many teachers aren't able to release themselves into this kind of learning experience? Where are the barriers for other schools, for other cultures? Yeah, it, it can be a struggle. Um, for us, you know, a growth mindset is one of our graduate standards. It's expected that you seek challenges, that you try, that you fail, and then figure out how to try again. Like, learning that cycle is part of a growth mindset. It's part of a scientific mind. It's part of entrepreneurship. You know, it's something that we really work through all the time as, as a team, as a startup, as a school, as educators, as students. Um, but you're right. I mean, especially for us, you know, we've built this culture and this is what we set out to do from the beginning. Um, for schools who are looking to make a change and looking to shift their culture and looking to do things differently, um, change is scary. And it's that idea of we've always done it this way and it's not really broken, so why fix it? Um, even though we can see there's a better way, we know the neuroscience of learning doesn't support the way that we're teaching, but it's kind of good enough and we've been doing it this way for a long time. And so getting through that resistance and you know, getting showing that there really can be a different and better and more fun way to teach um, is how you get through that. Um, 
try it out and just on a small basis, you know, if it's one unit and one concept and one project and seeing how their students react and then trying the next thing. Um, and so for a school, you know, for a school or a district that's working to make that change, it's, you know, finding that ongoing support of not just someone who's going to come in and do a one day professional development about this is project based learning. Okay, have a great year. See you later. But it's how do we really systemically say this is project based learning, right? You know, start your first project. I'll be in, in a couple of weeks to see how it's going to check in with your students to see where things are getting stuck or where you might need more support. Because that's the one thing that you hear, right, is that teachers say, yeah, well, I heard about project based learning. I tried it. It didn't work. And, you know, well, what did you do? What, what didn't work and what support did you have to see that through? Because um, to your point, it really is a culture shift. It's not just a, a methodology shift, um, but it's that understanding that everything that you do isn't going to work. Um, and that's OK, because <laughs> um, you tried it and you learned what didn't work. And then the next year, when you try the unit or the project or the scope again, you know, you'll tweak it and figure out how to make it work better. Um, and those students that it didn't work perfectly, well, they learned that sometimes things don't work perfectly. and that's a valuable lesson. I, I find sometimes, and, and maybe you know, in, in my, um, my, my darker moments, I feel that the issue is that there's a risk in going a more progressive, whatever, whatever direction you want to go that, that, that pushes the, the limits. And then there's a risk in status quo. And if I ask someone trying to reframe, uh, I think um, Cal Wagner actually brought this up, but, you know, or, or someone about uh, well, what are the risks of not doing anything, right? And let's talk about that instead of, of focusing on uh, on the risk of doing something. But then, but then I, I just fear that people, you know, you never get fired for hiring IBM, and you never get fired for staying in the course. <laughs> and, and that's going to be the biggest issue is is this fear of trying things new. But that doesn't, as you as you point out, that doesn't model anything for our students, um, and and that that it, it doesn't create innovators because there's no modeling mm -hmm. from the top. Um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite troublesome in many ways. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that there's, that there's schools like yours that, that just push it and, and just move forward and, uh, and, and are able to show that, you know, um, the kids are, 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 are doing all these amazing projects. Now, this is, this is something that I don't know can be done, but I'm going to ask you, do you have anything like, a like a, a well-being or happiness index, or, or do you like, you can't measure these things, I get it, but is there anything that you do to elicit maybe um, uh, um, testimonials from kids who may or maybe at other schools and in yours and, and, and how that goes? How, how do you know they're happy? I guess is my question. <laughs> uh, they smile, they're happy, they're excited. They literally bounce into school every day. Um, yeah, you know, last year after winter break, we're off for three weeks and they literally came in bouncing and excited and could not wait to come back to school, which in my school experience as a child was never the case. It was everybody kind of trudging back in and going, oh, we're back to school again, you know, and, and just kids not really wanting to be there and not engaged. And our kids, um, my educator actually today was her students were supposed to be working on a project, but instead they're sitting on the floor and going, you know, I really love going to school at Up Academy. It's really fun to go to school here. I really like it a lot more than my old school. 
it's really fun that we get to work on projects, you know, and, and there's at that moment, they were sitting working on math worksheets, which sometimes just has to be done. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, they're still just talking about how much they enjoy school. Um, and we do get testimonials from our parents and from our families. And um, the word of mouth spread of the school is definitely telling of how happy people are here. Um, but I'd say the biggest one is the kids, you know, they're just always excited. They're always happy. They're always, you know, as soon as a teacher asks a question, it's everybody's chirping in and it's, it's like a chorus of little crickets with ideas and answers and questions and things going on versus in a lot of school settings, if a teacher asks a question, it's, you know, crickets and either nobody's engaged or nobody wants to answer. Everybody's afraid they're going to get the answer wrong. So they don't say anything. But when you know there's not always a right and wrong, that it's about questioning and exploring and learning, like suddenly everybody is engaged and you can ask and it's okay to, to do those things and to be engaged and to be involved. Um, so we don't have a specific happiness index or, or any way to, to truly measure that. Um, like I said, our, our kids are just always super excited to come to school and always happy. And, you know, even when we host trial days, when we, we could do that, the kids that were here that didn't come to school here, were leaving going, mom, can I come to school here? Like, I don't want to leave. Can I come back on Monday? Um, and so it's. Sometimes that's all you need. Uh, and this happiness <laughs> index, kind of a joke, right? I mean, that, that, that's not, it's not possible. But one thing you never mentioned was test scores. One thing you never mentioned was uh, moving the data from point A to point B. Um, and yet you give examples of, of, of learning that are qualitative. And again, it's this idea of how are we okay uh, or how do we become okay with embracing the qualitative aspects of learning rather than having to measure everything on some, some contrived scale? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, we do assess our students and see where they are um, occasionally. We don't do any sort of standardized testing. We don't do mass assessments. The kids aren't given tests at the end of a unit in school. Like that's that's not what learning's about. Um, but we do, you know, do more informal assessments and keep track of where they are, especially through some of the apps that they're using for for reading and for math, and that keeps track of their levels and how they're progressing. And then we can verify that with you know math games and activities and reading lessons and literacy that they're doing in the classroom to make sure that that's all lining up. So we're definitely tracking that in the background to make sure that they are hitting the goals and the standards and will be prepared to move on from here. But we don't want students to ever think that that's the point of learning is to get a good grade on a test. Like all of our assessments right now are all narrative assessments. Like this is what we're working on. This is how they felt about it. This is how they progressed throughout the unit. Um, you know, and then sharing where they are from an assessment standpoint, but that's not, it's not the point of the report card. It's not the point of the assessment. Um, it's to give an update to families of all the cool stuff their kids learning. And, and those assessments are part of a constellation, right? I mean, they're they are part of a vast number of uh, of, of points to, to be able to figure out where the kid is. Uh, as is absolutely, and as is the questions that they pose, creative interesting questions say more about learning than a worksheet uh, in, in many cases, not all cases, clearly. Um, thank you so much. I, I'm going to, this is going to be part of the show where we uh, kind of leave it open to you and say, is there anything you'd like to add or what are you, what's on your mind lately? What are you thinking about? Where do you see things? It's, it's kind of the, please let us know what's uh, what you're thinking about segment. Yeah. So we're, 
I mean, we're thinking about lots of things. Um, right now, you know, I've been most excited that just so many people are talking about education. It's probably the first time in my life and definitely in my education career that everybody's kind of focused on education. Families are questioning it, students are questioning it, educators are questioning it. And we're looking at like what and how and why we're learning because there's, you know, with coronavirus and all the distance learning and everything that's disrupted the entire education scene, we have this amazing opportunity to reflect and to take a moment and step back and hopefully to rebuild in a different ways moving forward. Um, and so I, I find it really exciting and really interesting that all of these conversations are happening, right? You and I got connected, you're in Thailand. Um, like this stuff is happening that wasn't happening six, nine, 12 months ago, or it was happening, but it was happening at a much slower pace. And now everything's been accelerated and everybody's talking about it. And so I think that's super exciting. Um, from the standpoint of our school and what we're doing, you know, really part of our vision is to create a method of education that can be taken everywhere and can be shared and can support students in all different schools around the world and around the country. And, um, and so how, how do we go about doing that? So we're currently working on launching a project-based portal uh, where educators would be able to come and be able to access, you know, these, you know, multi-subject cross-curricular months-long projects um, that's already written. It's full lesson plans, it's weekly plans, monthly plans, daily plans, ideas for student learning. You know, and then educators will have this framework of a well-thought-out, fully-built project. And there's areas for student agency, there's areas for educators to tweak things, you know, based on their location. Not everybody can go to the murals in the Mission District, right? Maybe it's a virtual tour. Maybe it's murals somewhere else. Maybe it's not murals. Maybe it's a different project. Um, but they'll have that framework of a multi-month, multi-curriculum um, project. And so that's you know something that we're looking to create and offer to teachers because really the goal is how do we support educators? How do we support education? And how do we support students? to be the best that they can be as they move into middle school, high school in the world. Um, and so we're really looking to create um, those tools for educators, um, both from a, an online standpoint and from a professional development standpoint. So that's what's on our mind. <laughs> How do we help others do what we're doing? Cause we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> but that sounds really exciting. What, what's the website just to make sure everybody knows the URL. Yeah, I'm still working on that. <laughs> what about Up Academy's URL? Yeah, Up Academy's URL is upacademysf, as in San Francisco.com. So it's upacademysf.com. Um, and then my personal one is just my name, tanyasheckley.com. And we're working on the learning portal and the project portal and, and what that website is going to be. Um, it's all kind of developed. That's part of the last piece is putting it all together. We haven't quite settled on a domain name yet. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to look at it. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. This has been the Meaningful Learning Podcast by Coconut Thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Benjamin Freud. Just to let you know, this uh, episode was recorded right before the holiday break. And um, ever since uh, that happened, or since that happened, uh, we did get uh, the URL from Tanya. And the website will be www.up academylearning.com so that's upacademylearning.com and that is the URL that they've chosen for all the wonderful things that uh, they will launch uh, in January 
um, that uh, Tanya spoke about. So again, Happy New Year. Looking forward to our next episode. Uh, we've got a couple of things lined up uh, that occupy us a surprise. And uh, as always, please leave a five-star rating. Send us your comments. Go on www.coconut-thinking.design. Check out our blog. And we always welcome conversations. So uh, until next time, stay safe and Happy New Year.